I think we are so busy meeting the needs of others that by the time midlife happens, we have not met the needs of ourselves for so long that it hits us over the head. Like, I think that's what happens. And it's just like going, 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 going. And a lot of it is, you know, not having boundaries, not being able to say no, not paying attention to our emotions, but it all gets pushed to the wayside. And you do that for long enough, eventually it's going to catch up with you, right? Like eventually you're just not going to have that deep connection to yourself. And if you lose the deep connection to yourself, you lose the connection to everything, essentially. And I think that's what, that's what happens with depression. Hey, midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Everyone, welcome back to the Midlife Makeover Show. I am so beyond excited to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Amy B. Cher. She is an expert in mind-body healing and helping people release blocks to become their happiest, healthiest, and most creative selves. She is the award-winning and best-selling author of four books, including How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, which has been translated into 20 languages and endorsed by notable authors such as, listen, Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes, as in Eat, Pray, Love. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of hers. I love her. Um, And also, and I forgot to ask you how to pronounce this. Is it Sanjeev Chopra? You got it. Oh, dang. Chopra. I'm doing good today. Yeah. I'm on name. You're on a roll. Anjeev Chopra, MD, Harvard Medical School and Brotherhood with Deepak Chopra. Love him and more. Her work has been featured in Oprah Daily, CNN, CBS, Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, Good Morning America. And now here she is on the Midlife Makeover Show. I mean, come on. She lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and bad cat. I love that. What's his name? <laughs> His name is Stanley, named after Stanley and the Golden Girl. And he lives up to the, he lives up to the name well. (laughs) He's so adorable. He's so cute. Uh, And Amy can be found online at amybshare.com. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so fun to be here with you. Already, we haven't even started. I know. And I have to, I have to tell everyone the story of how I discovered you. And it's it's so fascinating to me how things come full circle in life. It's kind of crazy. And I feel like we're so energetically connected in so many different ways. So years ago, I don't know, four or five years ago, and a lot of my audience has heard the story, but I was like having a massive meltdown, going through a divorce, brother died. I was depressed. I was going through Lyme disease, black mold toxicity, 
anxiety, panic attacks. Uh, what else did I, oh, did I mention the debt and <laughs> all of being the unemployed and like, <laughs> like I was a hot mess. And one of the things I used to do to try to help myself feel better is that I would go to the Barnes and Noble in Colonial Williamsburg and I would go and get a little cup of coffee, a little latte, and I would try to find a new book or at least just sit there and just kind of go through them. And I found your book. And it was, I think, I'm, I want to say it was either the, it's the one with like the birdcage on it. Yeah. How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. That was my very yeah. first book. Yes. And Which so took a very I, long time to sell. I thought that book was <laughs> never going to be. And now like, that's what people know me by. So. Isn't that funny? Well, I have to keep that in mind for my yeah. own book. So, so speaking of, so then fast forward years later, I decided I'm like, I'm going to write my own book. And thankfully I discovered, uh, Michelle Martin, which is my literary agent. And she recommended this wonderful book coach named Amy Cher. And I was like, God, that sounds familiar. And I looked it up. I was like, oh my gosh, it's her. I was like, what are the chances? <laughs> so you are like, I mean, full circle, you're, you're healing me in so many different ways. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so Amy has helped me write my very first book proposal and it is everyone's in good vibes. It is out there with oh, publishers. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so that's my story. That's my Amy Wendy story. I love it. It's a very cute story. One day we might be a movie or our <laughs> very own book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And talk about full circle again. So I shared with you, I actually texted you a few days ago because I am reading or listening to both actually the, how to heal yourself from depression and how to stop feeling like shit. I think that's the subtitle, right? It is. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been going through something in my life right now and where I have met depression in a very, very deep, dark place years ago. And so I know when it's creeping back in and where I need to like, okay, girl, like let's get the, get it under the control. Right. So then I started listening to your book and it's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank it you is. so much. Thank you. Yeah. I loved writing that book, not because it was easy to write, but because I felt like I had to write it. And I felt like it was just going to help so many people, which it has. It's done so well and reached like everywhere, so many places. And it's something I think we all deal with at one point in our lives yep. or another. And it's something that's really hard to understand. Like it's something yeah. that's like dark and yucky and it's like, what is this thing? And so mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause I almost feel like I know for me when it happened to me years ago, and I think I had like bouts of depression, even leading up to that, but didn't really know that yeah. I kind of thought like depression was like, you're sitting in a dark room all day and you're curled up under the covers and you won't speak to anyone and you can't show up for work and which that can be, yes. but it's not always that extreme. No, there's yeah. such a spectrum. There's yep. such a spectrum, which is why people often get to a really, really, really bad point and yeah. go, how did this happen? It's because it's yep. been happening 
but we thought it was something else or we thought it was nothing or we thought it was winter or whatever it is, you know, yes. um, or, or menopause <laughs> or yeah, hormones. It's always hormones. And to be fair, it probably is always hormones in one way or another, but we don't recognize, you know, much of what we've learned about depression is that you can't get out of bed. But yep. most of what I've seen about depression is that you can get out of bed and all you want to do all day is crawl back in. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And it, I think for some people, I don't know. I mean, for some people it might come on slowly. Some yeah. of them, it might be all of a sudden you're just like, it just hits you. Yeah. And for me, it's been very slow. Yeah. And I do yeah. think even, I feel like this about illness, the illness experience, mm -hmm. the chronic illness experience is that it can feel like it happens overnight, yeah. but it hasn't really happened overnight. And that can be the same for depression. It can be like you wake up and it hits you. Yep. But it's been a slow roll to get there, even though maybe you haven't felt it or been conscious about it. I don't, I think yeah. most things don't just show up overnight, but we do mm -hmm. recognize them overnight. They yes. have to hit us in the face, right? Because we're too busy. We're so busy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which is I, what it is. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, between, you know, kids or friends or work or anything, it's like, oh, how do you it. squeeze it in? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. It's we become so checked out in a lot of ways that we're not paying attention yeah. to our own lives and then they can get away from us. Yep. I was actually today, I was thinking more about it, about depression, anxiety, other mental health issues as they're, you know, coined as, but it's not just mental health. It's physical health. It's your emotional health, your spiritual yeah. health, everything. It affects you in so many ways. Yes. And I think it's so interesting too, because there's so much conversation about mental health in the last maybe yeah. five years, especially, which is so great. But I think very few of these things can be attributed to thinking or solved by thinking. It's a mostly feeling is what I yep. think. So I get a lot of people referred to me by their doctors and what they've been trying to do is they've been trying to change their thoughts to then feel yep. better to not have anxiety, to not have depression. And I say, don't feel bad if you failed because these things stem from feelings. And so it's yep. very hard to change how you feel by how you think. Now, sometimes you can change some of it, but if you're really anxious and really depressed, mm -hmm. all of my, or chronically ill, all of my work starts with emotions. Let's change the feelings. Yeah. And from there, it's so much easier to have better thoughts when you don't feel like crap. I mean, that's just, that's yeah. a better sort of, um, way to go about it for most people than trying to fight thoughts while you feel really bad. Yeah, exactly. And I think of emotion as energy in motion as yes. it's flowing through you. And I think once I realized that I was like, oh, wait, then I need to be paying attention of yes. the emotions and my feelings that are flowing through me. Right. Absolutely. And I was reading in your book about, you know, the fight or flight or freeze. And yes. then most people that are in depression usually do, whoops, I just did a thumbs up on the screen. <laughs> I'll take one. Fight, flight or freeze. And most people in depression usually do freeze or kind of like numb out. And that's yeah. so me. That's, mm -hmm. that's definitely what I do. And, and with that, I feel like you kind of, you, you numb out, you don't even know what your feelings are unless you really tune in. Yeah. And I think, you know, in that freeze state too, what the body's doing is resisting change because it yeah. feels like change is dangerous. 
Yeah. And so what happens a lot of times is we're trying to do all these things to feel better. And our fight, flight, or freeze is so mm. heightened that yeah. we're just running in circles. It's almost like a self-sabotage, totally subconscious, yeah. nobody's fault, but we're yep. trying so hard to get out of it. We end up spinning our wheels because our body's in almost like a, yeah, a frozen state where we can't do it. And so that's why trying to just fix it up here often causes people to fail. We have to work with the body to calm the fight, flight, or freeze response so we can start to get some motion. Yeah, totally. I mean, changing your thoughts is one thing, but it's almost like you're acting. You're just pretending. But then deep down, you're still, all of that is still there. I mean, really depression is like, it's pushing it down, right? Like it's depressed. It's depressed. And I always think of depression as the suppression of self. Somehow we've gotten buried under all the stuff of life. We've been disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from the things in life that we love. And it's, we're buried in there somewhere. There's just all this stuff that gets piled on top of us because life and hormones and all the things. And I feel like, well, at least it did for me, this can really surface. Depression can really hit you hard at midlife. Yeah. Hence the, you know, midlife crisis, if you will. Because we're all so busy in our 20s and 30s and 40s. And then the kids leave the nest. It's quieter. Things are starting to like settle in. And you, you you do notice things more. And you're like, wait a minute. Like something's not right. Like where did I go? Who am I? What's my purpose? Yeah. And, and I think it just really hits you more at midlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we are so busy meeting the needs of others that yeah. by the time midlife happens. We have not met the needs of ourselves for so long that it hits us over the head. Like, I think that's what happens. And it's just like going, 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 going. And a lot of it is, you know, not having boundaries, not being able to say no, not paying attention to our emotions, but it all gets pushed to the wayside. And you do that for long enough, eventually it's going to catch up with you, right? Like Mm -hmm. eventually you're just not going to have that deep connection to yourself. And if you lose the deep connection to yourself, you lose the connection to everything essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what happens with depression. If you don't mind sharing, when was the first time for you? And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm in a depression. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a debilitating chronic illness for a decade Mm -hmm. of my life. And so I certainly experienced it then. Um, But interestingly for me, that made sense. It was circumstantial, right? The the difficult thing with depression is when it doesn't make sense, when you're like, why? (laughs) And I definitely had a time um, several years ago, I was writing a book. I had a family member who was ill. I was just doing all of these things, even though I had everything I wanted. I was working on my book deal. I lived in a beautiful house. I was married. I mean, like, I think there were just a lot of things going on that, that where I lost myself and I kept walking around thinking it was kind of like almost after my relative had like come out on the other side of their illness journey. And they were kind of okay at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was living where I wanted. I was married. I had this great book deal and I was miserable. I was like, why do I feel so sad? Why do Mm -hmm. I feel depressed? But often it's, and I couldn't figure it out, but it's often a delayed reaction. I was Mm -hmm. so busy meeting the needs of everything else and everybody else. And I'm a perfectionist. I'm a people pleaser. I'm all the things. I'm all the things that lend themselves toward depression because we put ourselves aside. And I think I just did that for long enough that it caught up to me. And by the time it caught up to me, I I was like, what's wrong with me? Everything's okay. And that's what happens. And so for me, that was really probably the first time I really 
kind of related to depression in the sense of how I see it with most people where it's like, Mm -hmm. they don't have a point of origin for it. I mean, depression, when you lose a job or um, lose a family member or like those things are circumstantial and those things are easier for us to like connect the dots in our brain. Not that the depression is any worse or better than otherwise. But I think for me, the first time I really delved into what the heck is depression, if it's not the obvious thing, like losing somebody we lost, like Mm an obvious form of grief. Um, that's when I really, that's when I really felt it. And that's when I really started to understand it. It's yeah. not, all. it's not, it's a mis- it feels like it's not a mystery, but it feels like one. Yeah. You kind of feel like you're on an Island or you feel like, like you're on an Island. And how did yeah. you get there? Yeah. How did I get there? And it's not a nice Island either. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're in Madeira, Portugal. Then that's I know <laughs> I have to come visit you. I have to come visit you. You have to, we have to do a retreat or something. Oh my gosh, definitely. (laughs) So I wanted to read, um, this is from your book, Signs of Depression. Um, So anybody out there listening, if you're like, okay, what is it? Uh, So negative, compulsive, or obsessive thoughts, feeling disconnected from others, feeling like you are at a distance from or on the outside of life, inability to relax, difficulty making decisions, being too hard on yourself, self-critical, feeling shaky or unstable, having unexplained physical symptoms, especially fatigue or body aches, feeling sad, angry, or pretty much any other difficult emotions without relief, being moody, inability to concentrate, or did I, I lost my line, extreme sensitivity around others, difficulty sleeping or disrupted sleep patterns, not caring about life, friends, or activities, not being able to identify your opinions or how you feel about things, not being able to see any bright side of life, and also feeling nothing, being numb, which is kind of what I talked about. It's yeah. interesting because I shared with you, not, not that this is all about me, but you know. But it is your show, Wendy. But, so, it, so but it is my show. <laughs> So I've shared with the audience about my dad. My dad is going through cancer right now. And, and it's because I have experienced extreme depression before I'm like very cautious of it. Yes. And I'm like, okay, uh, 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 uh." like, and when you know, something uh, crappy is going to happen around the corner, it's almost like you have to gear up for it. Like, okay, all right, we can do this, you know? And like for me, I've been trying my best to practice extra self-care, Yeah, doing all the things, like the things that got me out of depression are the things I'm trying to do so that I avoid going back into that dark hole. Right. So smart. Yep. Yeah. And so like even the forest bathing and all that, yeah, <laughs> listening that's to great books and podcasts and reading books and going on walks or eating well and trying my best to sleep well. And it's tough. Like even when you go about it proactively, it still like will try to creep in. And I, I, I've been thinking about like, I'm like my own guinea pig kind of observing myself. Right. And it's kind of interesting. Like it's not that you want to avoid it. You you just want to take the blow as less as possible. I guess. Of course. But also I would say too, that you know, we were talking about fight, flight, or freeze, and that is part of a human being. And one of the things I learned in positive psychology, like the main thing I learned that I got out of that whole thing is that you're a human being being human. Yeah. 
And it's just, it's part of being a human and it's how you manage all of it. And I would say like the, what I loved about reading your book and listening to your book is that it's really getting underneath it way, way, way underneath it. Like depression is deep, but you have to get deep underneath the depression in order to heal it. Yeah. I think you have to get back to yourself. I think when you have a sick parent, when you have a a child struggling, when you have anything Mm -hmm. that makes sense as to why you would be depressed, it's not only the event that caused that contributes to the depression. It's how we lose ourselves in the midst of And so these things that you're doing to stay connected to yourself will certainly not change the situation, but it will change your experience of the situation because you will not get to the point that you've been to because you're doing things a different way. You're staying connected to yourself. And I think that includes feeling all the things, feeling those sad feelings. And there's so many people who try to avoid. And it's like, you're going to have to feel it at some point. Sadly, I wish there was a way around it. (laughs) Even as somebody who promotes dealing with emotions, I might, we all wish there was a way around it. Um, but, but dealing with it in the moment as it comes up is a lot easier than 10 years later, realizing you didn't deal with any of it and having to go back and relive it. And so you always say, whether it's a chronic illness or depression or anxiety, use it, squeeze it, get all you can out of it to help you release old traumas, deal with your emotions, think differently, feel differently, whatever you can do. And this is what all my books walk everybody through. It's like, if you're going to have to live through this thing and these feelings, then then let's use them to better our lives in some way. Let's clear yeah. some of those, deal with some of these emotions that are probably emotions that are also being triggered from earlier in our lives. Like let's move some of this stuff out so that you know, when we come out on the other end, we're better people. It's so hard to imagine that happening, but I can definitely say, you know, after, you know, recovering from debilitating Lyme disease, which I was bedridden for much of the time, even after my dad's death, which was just shook me to the core, I'm a better, happier person after both of those crazy, horrible, horrible things that I would have never wanted to go to, but, or go through, but I used them. I was like, if this thing's going to be here, I'm going to use it. I am going to juice it. I'm going to squeeze it. I'm going to make sure that I get every drop of benefit out of it. And there is benefit to going through these times. And we build resilience if we do it right. If we do it, if we use it and we do it right. You're so right. I actually posted something on uh, social media this morning about that. And mm. as I was, uh, I went hiking, I did like a nine mile hike the other day. And in Portugal, they have a lot of caves that yeah. are along the hiking trails. You have to go through the cave. And as I'm going through the cave, I was like, oh my God, this reminds me of my life. Like, <laughs> this reminds me of me right now. You know, like, where's yes. the light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, some of these tunnels are super long. You have to crouch down, which is probably oh. why my back hurts so bad right now. But, you know, it it is there to teach you something. And I know, like, I, I know, like, the light at the end of the tunnel is, is you. It's actually the light of the new you. Yes. That's, and that's really so like, if anybody out there is really suffering, especially like, here's the thing, like this show, this episode will probably come out at the very beginning of 2024 and everyone will be like, what? 2024. At the same time, they're probably going to be recovering from the holidays and, and we'll still be going through things. And the thing is, is like, you really, like, you have to give yourself permission to be you 
to heal yourself, to love yourself, to take care of yourself and knowing that you're the light at the end of the tunnel, that you'll get through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. Right. And you think you can't, like you can't imagine, oh, this horrible thing will somehow be positive in some way, which is fine. I guess like, I think, you know, there's so much about everything's meant to be and all of this. And I like to think like, okay, that's kind of hard to grasp sometimes with the loss of a family member or an illness or whatever. But I always say like, I do think that once something's already happened, we can find purpose in it. We don't have to believe everything's happening for a reason or meant to be. But once it's already there and we can't do anything about it, it does Mm -hmm. help us to shine a light on it and find something to take out of it and away from it. And and I think the light, I think what you're saying is the, you know, the light, we are the light is really important because I think a lot of depression circles around feeling not good enough, Mm. feeling worthless, feeling unworthy of taking up space. All of those things are really at the core of depression. Yeah. We just don't feel that we are good enough, worth enough. Mm -hmm. And so really trying to transform some of that through picking through this depression experience and figuring out what can I do to, to shift that is really important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And shifting that, shifting your perspective and taking that proactive approach to get yourself out of it so that you can go on and live a happy, healthy life. Exactly. And I think it's hard to know. I mean, I remember when I was really sick, I mean, I was so sick. I was in and out of the hospital. I was Mm. in a wheelchair for part of the time. And I was thinking like, how do I do this though? Cause yeah. like I had read all the books on like positive thinking and like, okay, so it's one thing to want to do, but how do you do it? And I think that that's what I discovered through my own illness experience was this work of like, it's really hard to do it up here. Again, it's really yeah. hard to think your way out of this. Like your brain's not even working in the right state, let alone to depend on it, to think yourself out of this really tough situation. And so it really is a lot of the techniques that I've either created or or worked with that other amazing people have created is releasing some of that energy or those stuck feelings that are just living and churning in our body. Old anger, old grief, old resentment, old sadness, old anxieties, all of that stuff and saying, okay, now is the time to unburden myself. And now is the time to find the right tools to really do something. Yep. There was one thing you said, I I made lots of notes. (laughs) There was one thing you said too, um, is offering a remedy to the person and not just the ailment. Yes. And I love that. Because we're at the core. Yes, exactly. Like in, like if you remove like the depression, anxiety or whatever labels that you have with all of it, deep down, it's you, it's, you're at the core of that and it, and it's helping you as a person and not just the one thing, because actually I don't think you can really help that one thing. It is helping the person that helps that one, all of that. Exactly. It really yeah. is unburying the you from all the yeah. stuff that got piled on top. And and even without, you know, specific tools or techniques, somebody can actually even just sit, sit there for a moment and ask themselves, what am I buried under? Yeah. What has caused me to lose attention or to take the attention off of myself? And we start, we can start coming up with all these things. 
oh, I'm always saying yes to X, Y, and Z, or I'm, you know, ignoring this thing that I really need to deal with. Like, it's not hard once you ask yourself the question, what could I be buried under? How could I have lost myself? You start to see those things. And then you can use the tools and techniques in my book or other books to start Mm -hmm. to unbury, to start to pull those things apart gently and to start to move them out of the way so that you can rise naturally from that. And that's, I think that's the only way to do it. I don't think addressing depression or addressing anxiety, you have to address the you that's lost deep down inside and just help yourself emerge again, reconnect and help yourself emerge, which is really a process of letting go of everything that's getting in your way. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's, you're the one that's in the way. Yeah. We often are, which we often are, but even, even, you know, I work with a lot of women in midlife and I think one of the things that is really common, whether it's, I mean, my three specialties are sort of anxiety, depression, and chronic illness. I think the happiest job, right. Um, but, but honestly, people do do amazing work and really, really expand beyond these, these, um, labels. But, but one of the things is that, that women in midlife really do realize that they've been living for everyone else. And even if though they do have needy people in their lives, they can often um, find the part in which it fulfills them to be controlling of other people, to take over when not asked, to pay more attention to other people. There's a benefit in that for us, whether it's our egos or a distraction from our own stuff that we we don't want to deal with. Midlife is the time to start to live for yourself. Now, listen. We can't do it 100% all the time, which I think is fine. We have bills to pay. We have spouses to, to compromise with. We have all of those mm-hmm. things, right? That's just life. But in what? But the question is, in what ways can we be more attentive to our own lives? And it doesn't yeah. always have to be massive. It's just turning toward ourselves. Yes. And I would have to say, too, without guilt or shame. Without guilt or shame. Yeah. The because part. Yeah. Yeah. Because like myself, like you mentioned earlier about being a perfectionist and a people pleaser. Yep. Me too. And so for me, it was like, okay, if I actually start to take care of myself, how do I not feel like an ass that I'm not dropping every single thing in my life? Like as everyone around me would expect me to do, they would expect me to like stop everything. And then, oh my gosh, she's, Wendy's being selfish because she's not dropping everything to take care of me, you know? Right. And one of the things I really learned, and I'm curious if you've experienced this, is that we project so much on others. So one of the things that I used to always do was like write a very long, sorry, but I can't make it email or a no thank you. And I realized that my energy about my 50,000 explanations about why I couldn't do it was, was putting that on the other person. And so one of the things I started to do was say no more often and just say it quickly and get it over with for both of us. And one thing I realized is that people don't care as much as I, I imagined (laughs) that they did. Um, and it, and you know, I have like people in my life, my brother is one of them. He's just a very, he's a Leo. He's very black and white. He's very like, you know, I love those. It's like, do you want to come over for dinner? No, thanks. (laughs) okay, I would have said all the reasons I was like allergic to what you were making or the 40 other things I had to do. But my brother is like, in a way, like, and, and I, and I don't really think anything of it. Like he's just, that's how he is. He's just kind of short and sweet. Like, thanks so much, but no, or like, I can't, I can't. But like, if I were to say 10 years ago, I'm so much better right now, but I can't, 
I would like, listen, okay, like, and here are my bullet points about why I can't. But the fact is that when we put all that guilt and shame into it, yep. other people don't receive it as well. So now exactly. I have yeah. rules for myself about, and this book actually, how to, uh, how to Heal Yourself from Depression, mm-hmm. has a whole list of how to say no, because I realized that so many women don't have the language to say no. That's yeah. why we don't do it. We literally don't know what to say or how to say yeah. it or yeah. or how long it should be. Or like, so now I have all of my like how to say no or how to say yes, but with 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 a boundary. Like, can you help me on Saturday do X, Y, and Z? Like, yes, but I'm only available mm-hmm. for two hours because yeah. then I have something else to do. Like we just, we, this is how we get ourselves in a mess. We just don't know how to do it. And part of no part of it is just learning how to do it and being easy and breezy. And like literally no one cares because everybody else is worried about themselves. I it's know. It's it, so I always find it refreshing for like the Leos out there that are like, nope, can't make it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, what okay. do you say? Okay. Sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had a habit of like over apologizing and over explaining. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I would start out almost every single email with. I'm so sorry. I'm just now responding. Now yeah. I'm like, Hey, you know, like, thanks for your email. I'm like, well, I'm, I don't have time now. I'm like, I don't nope. have time. Just like, yeah. yes, I'm a busy woman. Nope. Can't make it. Yes. Uh-huh. Like it's just, yeah. and you're exactly right. Like we, we think that everyone is so caught up in it, but they don't, they're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then I think too, like now that I've shifted in the way I respond to people, it's really hard to get an email when somebody writes 47 paragraphs about why they can't come because now I have to address all of that. Now it's my emotional problem, right? Like I now know. I have to feel bad for the person who feels bad they couldn't come. And it's like, that's oh, fine. You know, when you can't write back like that. So I think I like we put so much on ourselves and then also each other and it's burdensome yeah. and it's miserable. Yeah. And like, it just doesn't matter. Of course, like it's still okay to say sorry. And it's still okay if you like forget yep. to reply to a text to say, so sorry, I missed this. Like all of that's just etiquette, fine. But we don't need to like, we don't need to write 47 paragraphs on why we didn't reply sooner no. or why yeah. we can't go because everybody else just wants to check you on or off the list and yep. move on with their life too, right? <laughs> no. I think these perspectives are important because we're talking about something kind of funny and light, but yep. I'll tell you, these are some of the things that that add to that pile that very mm-hmm. always worrying about other people being happy overthinking every email. These things cause us to lose connection with our true selves, which are, which are pretty spirited, joyous people. If we don't put a bunch of stuff on ourselves, right? Yep. Yep. So it's just these little ways of thinking that can start to lift that burden a little bit. Like if you have 500 unread emails and you decide to go and reply to 10 today, and each of them are only a sentence, you are Mm going to be much less in fight, flight, or freeze than if you feel obligated to write five or 10 paragraphs to every person. It does make a difference. It does make a difference. And it comes back to reiterating that message. I'm worthy. I'm enough. I don't need to go overboard with apologizing and people pleasing and all of these things. It's like becoming your, your, your best self, uh, selfie. Like you're, you know, what I mean? yes. like you're, you really are taking care. Like you're, you're becoming your own best friend and going, yes. Hey girl, it's totally okay. It's yes. okay. If you can't go to dinner tonight, it's okay. If you can't drop everything and be there for that person, you're doing yes. the best that you can like coaching yourself through that. Yes. It's yeah. so important. I always call it just lowering the stakes for your own life. Just mm-hmm. lower the stakes. If you don't make like 
this was something so interesting. I grew up in, lived in California much of my life and then mm-hmm. moved to New York City. And people here, I find the culture is very different, different. Like in LA, I would like make a five course meal if people were coming over. And like here we started going to people's houses and they were like still unwrapping the plastic from the takeout. But like, <laughs> nobody thought anything of it. I felt like if I did that in LA, that would be like, you're like, oh my gosh. I, I don't think I ever went to anybody's house for dinner in like the almost decade I lived in LA and somebody had ordered or pre-bought food. And yeah. here I think maybe twice somebody's cooked. And like, I've n- no one thinks anything of it. So one of the things I've given myself permission to do is just like order takeout. I haven't cooked for anybody here. And guess what? I'm okay. Like, so we have to, like, nobody else yeah. is going to like lower the stakes or lower the bar for ourselves. We have to do it. It's our responsibility to write, do that. Hey girl, it's going to be okay. Nobody yep. cares. And if they do, maybe they'll go somewhere else for dinner next time, you know? like, <laughs> And that's okay. Really. That's, that is self-care though. That is self-care. It's not a yes. bubble bath. That is self-care. Yeah. It's almost like it becomes very habitual. Like we're, we're creatures of habit, right? And what is it? 95% is our subconscious, subconscious. mind. And a lot of that is you know, created up before we're like seven years old. Seven. I know. I think you had said in the book something about having your seven-year-old take over your life. I mean, that's yes. pretty much what it is. It's so scary. Yeah. My book is a lot of sub- subconscious release techniques, which is working yeah. the with the part of us that's hard for us to 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 change by yeah. just thinking. But you're right. I do put something in there and I talk about like most of how we behave as adults was programmed at a subconscious level before we were seven. So we're like, so many of us are running around as seven-year-olds. Like I have a seven-year-old nephew. There is no way I would put him in charge of anything as delightful (laughs) and sweet and smart as he is. Because these things don't work when you're an adult. They work when you're before seven. And so a lot of these beliefs, and just, just for an example, a simple thing, you know, is like, if you, you know, your mom's cooking dinner, your dad's cooking dinner at night, and you're doing your homework, or you're doing an art project, and you run up to show them, and they say, not now, I'm busy. Our interpretation of that before age seven can be, I'm not good at anything. There's no space for me. Nobody cares about me. And then that's, that's our rule. We direct every, all of our lives is direct, uh, are directed by that type of thinking or that type of believing. And so here we are in midlife when somebody says something that was just, no, I can't come for dinner. And now we're not good I'm enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah. We don't deserve to take up space. So this is the worthiness and the believing yeah. that we're enough. Yep. It's the enoughness that really helps mm. to shift depression too at a core level. And, and yeah. when you work with these subconscious release techniques and changing those that old programming, you actually don't have to try as hard to not be depressed. You don't have to try as yeah. hard to think positively. You just yeah. naturally do it. And that's where some of that ease. That's the- that's the ticket right there. And it's kind of like ticket. what I was sharing earlier with what I'm going through. Yes. Like I've, I've done a ton of therapy and the healing yeah. techniques that I know enough to like, first of all, to be able to spot it, to yeah. know like, Ooh, yeah. Wendy, you seem a little off, you know? Yeah. Like becoming, being my own best friend is also taking care of myself and going, okay, girl, you seem a little bit off. You're a little on edge or you seem, you know what I mean? You're not eating well, or I have body aches right now. It's like, okay. Like, yeah. Like when your body is screaming at you and your mind is screaming at you, it's like, listen, because that is the sign that you've got 
you've got to step back and you've got to take care of yourself because otherwise, right? Like it piles on, it piles on. And then you're really in bed in the dark, not going yeah. to work and feeling like absolute shit. Yeah. And the longer yeah. it's, it, it kind of seeps in at a physical level, the longer yeah. you have body aches, the harder it is to get out of those. When you can recognize these, some of these things. And when we talk about the mind body connection, I mean, one of the first signs of depression can be body aches. And yep. so people go to the doctor thinking something's wrong in their body and they're ignoring their emotions. Yep. And, you know, it's really, it, it, we miss a lot of these signs and we forget that the mind and body are so, it's not just a term, they are really intricately connected yep. at a biological level, at a chemical level. When something's happening in our bodies, we should ask what's going on with our emotions. And when something's yep. happening with our emotions, we should also ask what's going on with our bodies. Yep. Well, even the term yoga means the union of body, mind, and spirit, yep. and it's all connected. It's all intertwined. Like you can't yep. have one without the other. And yeah, it's really paying more attention to all of that. And, and the thing is too, like, I mean, I look at you and I both, right. We both have been through some major depressions and, yep. you know, physical illness and mental illness. And yes, you can come out of that dark tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> you can come out the other side. It is possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, but yep. if you can just find even that. I mean, this is why like podcasts like yours help so much yeah. because you see and hear people talk about it. And even if as a listener, you can't quite get on board for yourself, something happens in your heart and your subconscious mind. This stuff, these seeds um, seep in and plant themselves. And you do, you start to it starts to become a possibility, even yeah. if you're not fully bought in yet. And it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I've shared this with you, even with creating the book, it was like that point for me was like, well, like, what am I going to do? It's like the effort to stay depressed and stay in that state. Yeah. To me, that was harder than actually getting myself up off the floor, as my Aunt Annie would say, like, pull pull up your bootstraps and yes. <laughs> get back at it, right? Yes. Like, I was like, okay, well, if I have to put in a ton of effort in either option, I might as well make myself happier and healthier. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And I think my mom has a version of that, which is put on your big girl panties. Yes. <laughs> So I love, I love, I love your aunt too. Um, yeah, and Annie I, has boots and your mom has brick girl panties. Yes. I think one of the interesting things, and I talk about the, this in my book, is also taking action. So there's a lot in the spirituality, kind of the world of spirituality and positive psychology that talks about thinking, visualizing, but you also have to take action. Now, yeah. I'm the first one to say, once you start to shift the depression energy, the very last part of my book is about taking action because it would be very hard to take until I help somebody shift out of that depression energy. But then you have to do something about your life. You have yep. to physically change some of the things that aren't working. Again, we come back to only doing what you can. If you don't like your house, but you have no means to move somewhere else, that's okay. There are ways to make peace with where you are. If there are, you know, family relationships that are toxic, but you know, it's with a child you take care of, or like, you know what I mean? There, we yep. can only do so much, but there are always actions we can take to make things better. We can't just do the spiritual and emotional part and then not attempt to get out of a toxic relationship, not yeah. try to, you know, change things at work that aren't working. We have to do that last piece, which is action. Yep. 
which is again, all easier to do, just like the changing the thinking. Once we feel better, everything's, everything is easier to do once we feel better. In my book, I talk about micro movements, just Mm. making micro movements, because guess what? With my clients, I mean, I see a lot of very, very depressed, anxious, and, you know, ill clients. And once they feel a little bit better, like 1% better, guess what? It's easier to get 1% better from there and 1% better from there. It's hard to go from feeling like crap to feeling like everything's amazing, right? But if you can just create a little space by doing something or changing or shifting some feeling or doing one you know, using one tool, it's easier to like, kind of like crawl your way to the next, the next place. place. So it's important to start small, I think. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that's for me, that's how I crawled out of that deep hole. Yes. Which is tiny little movements. And then every movement that I did make, I felt so good about making that movement. Like, oh my God, I took a shower today. Like something so minor or like I wrote my journal today or I ate good today. I slept well today. It was like these tiny little things and then they build up and build up. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like I actually feel better. Yes. Yes. Cause those things really, those things like, you know, like take it, like I, you know, tell people like, even if you can take a walk, like even if you only walk Mm -hmm. to the neighbor's house and back that Anything we do shifts our energy inside. We are in a constant dance with our environment. So, okay, if you can't get out of the house, then move the place you sit in. Move the place. Yeah. Like if you always sit in the same place on the couch, just sit on another place on the couch. If yeah. you can't take a walk, which we all know has so many benefits, but when you're so depressed, that feels like insurmountable to take a walk, yeah. right? But can you walk? Can you just walk? Can you just get outside? Maybe you just stand there the first day and the second day you walk one house over. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you make it to the end of the block and back and you bargain with yourself. Like, what can I do? That's just a micro movement. And you're mm-hmm. right. Wendy. They build, they build, you yeah. start to feel better. And it's one, it's probably because you're proud of yourself, but two, it's because taking action actually shifts your energy. Just yeah. opening the blinds will shift your energy. It's mm-hmm. the light. It's the action of doing something. There's so many micro movements that shift your energy that you know, those little things can just get us at least moving in the right direction, even if. Yeah. And then I would have to say too, like a lot of that spiritual healing that you were doing by taking action, it lets those get really deep down embedded and like set in there. Yes. That makes sense. You're going deeper. You're opening yourself up to the whole journey. I think when you're just doing, doing little things here and there to help yourself. Yeah. And, And I mean, I write about this in all my books, but helping yourself feeling empowered in any way actually helps to um, discharge the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. Mm -hmm. So it actually calms the body to a point where whatever you're doing is you're applying self-healing. It's calming the body. It's helping you feel better because what you're essentially saying to yourself in some way is I'm safe in my own hands. I'm empowered. There are things I can do. I don't just have to wait till Tuesday at four to talk to my therapist or to hope this medication kicks in. When you are doing some of this work, it's actually a healing bomb that calms your nervous system and calms the fight, flight, or freeze. So it Mm. all doesn't even matter necessarily what you're doing, but doing anything for yourself is, is signaling to your body and your nervous system that you're safe, that you're empowered. And it's so important. It's a huge part of healing. I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You're so smart. And 
Thank you. And it's free. It's free. Yeah. That's the other yeah. thing. It's like, I mean, I went through hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had to fundraise for my medical treatments. I mean, it is expensive to do all of the treatments, all of the supplements, all of the everything. And listen, there's nothing wrong with doing those, but there is a part that you can do for free that nobody else could do for you. Even if you paid them a million dollars, which probably any of us who had it would, because nobody wants to do the inner work, but that's the free part. And that's the transformative part. You have to do the thing that no doctor or therapist or spiritual practitioner can do for you. You have to, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's non-negotiable. You have to. You're exactly right. I mean, I actually, I had a, an epiphany one day when I was sitting with my therapist and, and she's amazing. Like, I love just like hanging out with her and talking to yeah. her probably, you know, but, but after decades of therapy and reading books and everything else, I, I realized I was like, wait, have I become do, too dependent on this? Like, yes. like, what am I saying here? Like, Wendy, you can't do it. Like, hell yeah, you yeah. could. Do, you have all the tools and techniques, like do it, like do the work. Yeah. And it was really just like, okay, Wendy, the, the true Wendy, your true self is not inside a book. It's not yes. sitting inside a therapist's office. Yes, you can uncover mm-hmm. that, but really it's up to you to do the work. Yeah. And also I think there's like a tipping point for certain things. I mean, you know, there's all these, there's all these messages about, you know, suicide prevention and get a therapist. Mm -hmm. And and the truth is that most people who take their own lives did seek help. Yeah. But, and it's important. It's very, very important. But after Mm -hmm. a certain period of time, only seeking help and not turning inward to try to do some of these things on your own can be just, now, now therapy can turn out to be somewhere where you go every week and talk about how broken you are. Exactly. Obviously a yep. good therapist will prevent you from doing that, but yep. to yep. rehash something over and over and over at some point yep. after you've worked with a therapist for however long, isn't always therapeutic. It can be, right. it, it can be really detrimental. And so I think yep. there's this intersection of getting professional help for as much of a period of time as it's helpful determined mm-hmm. by you and your therapist, and then also coming in and doing what no therapist can do. Yeah, Because it's not just about going to therapy and going through the motions. Most people don't feel that much better just relying on their therapist. Those who do really, really well are taking the tools that the therapist is giving them, or also reading some books, or also yep. listening to pod- great podcasts, and kind yep. of just doing what they can. You don't have to do it all. You don't have right. to do it all. You're doing a therapy, amazing. And then maybe do one or two extra things on your own a week to bring yep. that self-empowerment. And I think that, that you know, and that's true for chronic illness too. See your doctor and also do some things for yourself. For mental health, yep. see the per- therapist and also do some things for yourself. That's sort of the magic um, remedy. And now it's like your book title really is so perfect to heal yourself and no one else can. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's I mean, what I discovered. I was going yeah. to all the best therapists. I was going to the mm-hmm. best doctors. I went to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, like one of the best. I went to, you know, I went everywhere. You can name the best hospitals in America. I was there. But what I wasn't doing was the piece that no doctor could do for me. And that's why I wasn't seeing the changes I wanted. Yeah. And so, so all of my books have that title, How to Heal Yourself when no one else can, how to heal yourself from anxiety when no one else can, how to heal yourself from depression when no one else can. They all tell you to go to the doctor. They all tell you to work with professionals, but they also teach you how to do the piece that that professional cannot do, even if they wanted to. And doctors are amazing. They can do so much, but they can't get in your heart and soul and and figure that stuff out. They just can't. Yep. 
you have to become an advocate for your own healing. You do. You do. Yep. Ah, it's, it's so, so annoying sometimes to have to do all that. It's so much work, but it's so. Can you just it. fix me, Amy? I, just I wanted that. I want. Once I went like around the world and realized nobody else could fix me, they helped me a lot. Don't get me wrong. But once I realized going to therapy every week wasn't going to fix me, I needed that and something else. Yeah. That that is really. That's when I turned a corner. That's when I started my physical and emotional body. Both both aspects of me and my spiritual body started to really heal. It was when I brought yeah. that piece in that I that I just wasn't paying attention to. Yeah, it's like you end up becoming your own catalyst. Yes, you it's are the light. Cool. We come back to your beautiful. The light, you the are the light. light. Yes. yes. <laughs> so where can we find you? So you can find me kind of everywhere, but the place mm-hmm. to start would be my website, Amy B Share S. C-H-E-R.com. And because everybody always wants to know what my middle initial stands for, it's Amy, and my name is Amy Beth Cher, which I think is so funny because I think Amy Beth sounds so Southern. And I was, I grew up <laughs> Amy in- Beth, Amy Beth. Yeah, right. See, you got it. That's what my mom was like. I don't know. Um, but I grew up in Southern California, so I'm not sure where that came from, but that's the B people want to know. Um, and so on my website, I'm also on YouTube. If you just want to start simply, you can go to YouTube and just do one of my 10 minute sessions. They're all guided. Um, really helpful, really easy, low stakes, um, and just see how you feel. See if you resonate with it. Oh, I got to do that. Yeah. I'm like, I got to do that. Yes, yes do yes. it. And get and get her books too. And you've got another, you've got a new book coming out. Which one is that one? The, I have a travel book National Geographic, out. Yes, right? I do have a book with National Geographic called Out in the World coming <sighs> out in May, 2024. So for those of you travelers out there, please find that too. It's a very happy book. It's a very happy. And travel is, travel is another way to find yourself if you can do it. We, yeah. We find parts of ourselves when we travel and we connect to the world in ways that we haven't. And even traveling to a new neighborhood in your own city can do a lot. It's kind yep. of funny, but it's again, it's about changing your environment, taking some action. It just shakes things yeah. up in a way that many of us need. Oh my gosh. This is so awesome. Amazing, Amy. Thank you for having me here. This was a delight. Oh, thank you. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on the social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.